Girl Stories, Life Lessons, Turning Points, Service to Others, Truth, No Bullshit, Adding Value, No Smoke and Mirrors, Being the Pressure, Third Down and Ten, Win or Learn, Always the Underdog with a Chip on Your Shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From Service Academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future, winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. All right, so today we got uh, Buff, Keytrick Buffin, um, standby for a whopping five foot seven tall and uh 168 pounds at least that's what i pulled from your you know navy football profile um navy senior of 08 um you know played db class of 09 um grew up in the dallas fort worth area uh, spent some time in commerce growing up and then on to rowlett uh did i pronounce that right rowlett yeah Rowlett. yeah um post academy went to the marine corps and you're still in Um, been in the marines ever since um what are the jobs that you held within the marine corps oh man so started off just bottom level division officer type stuff um and my track is a little different you know it's not it's not your typical like platoon commander company commander type track um i'm in a more of a specialized uh type um, occupational specialty. Um, so for us, you know, we had, um, you know, division officer at like a larger aviation logistics squadron. And then they send you to an organizational level squadron where you, you know, you really kind of hone in on your specialty and, and what you're supposed to learn how to do. And you do that for like one tour and then they snatch you out. And it's, it's really the most fun that you have in your career um, as like a maintenance material control officer. And then uh, you go back to an aviation logistics squadron um, possibly as like a double AMO, then as you get promoted, you get billets of increased responsibility, you know, as with any other MOS. Nice. So that's what you do today. You, your maintenance aircraft maintenance. Yeah. I mean, my job today. So I've, I mean, I've reached, um, made it up to the Pentagon. So I'm at headquarters Marine Corps. Like I'm nice. like the guy, uh, when it comes to, um, aviation logistics for the F-35. Um, at least I like 35. to believe I am, but, uh, nice. there, there's a lot of players, a lot of players. Awesome. There always are. Um, <laughs> right. Well, cool. <clears throat> now in Stafford, Virginia, it explains headquarters Marine Corps, um, working as the aircraft maintenance officer there and what you do hobbies building. And I got a memory with that. So we'll get to that, to, to that topic, which is really intriguing to me, uh, from Mr. Ose Asante, um, sports, <laughs> audio books, uh, and working out. And you know, I brought it up on the one that I just, I'm going to release pretty soon is uh, when I called you, I had to reschedule this one. We only had it planned for last week. I was like, dude, I got to, we got to push this one out. I got this opportunity. I need to go, you know, be a part of Um, one of the few um, I had on here that's still in the military. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of these talks, we talk about the transition. Some of your story is going to be like, why do you stay in? So that'll be cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And let's, Let's hit the memories. Okay. So first one is Ose Asante. He had, he said, ask you about his, uh, you know, do it yourself projects. Um, I also had the opportunity to visit you and your wife with me, uh, when y'all were stationed nearby. Um, and you built an entire deck with your own hands. Does that sound about right? Yeah, it's, that's, that's true, man. <laughs> that is, that is true. Um, in, so whenever, um, so it's kind of kind of leans and in, leads into you know why I still serve. Um, I had this this first sergeant um, that I served with. Um, first what? Like, first sergeant. She there you was, go. Yep. So back in 2015, we had this house built in Stafford, and um, as with most houses out here, they build them with access to a deck, but it's on the second story, so it's like blocked because if you step out, you just you step down and. Anyway, so I was telling her about it. And she was like, oh, my husband owns a construction company in Las Vegas. And I was like, what? She was like, yeah, he can build a deck for you. I was like, what? So no kidding. Like, this guy comes over with a trailer. Um, and he he's like, yeah, I can build this deck. We can get it done in about two weeks. 
and I was like, okay. And me, I'm, I've, I've never built a deck before. So I'm just thinking like, hey, I'm just going to watch. Well, he was like, no, no, no. He's like, you're going to help. Um, so no kidding. Nice. Um, you know, he starts building this deck. And as we're out there, as they're out there building, I'm, I'm kind of just helping, watching, learning. Um, fast forward to 2019, uh, come back to the same house in Stafford and we get a pool put in the backyard. Um, and the way the pool is put in the backyard, it left like this big fall off you know, on the far corner. So, you know, I just kept looking at it, kept looking at it. And I was like, I could probably build a deck in this corner. Like, I'm pretty sure I could build a deck in this corner. Um, so that's what I did, man. And, nice. you know, as as time went on, like, I would think more about it. I keep drawing up sketches. And eventually, I, I finished the deck. Nice. When you said you came back to the same house in Stafford, that means you had the house and then came back to it because you still had it? Or yeah, just so, okay. So you rented yeah, it out or something? Rented it out for a couple of years uh, while we went to San Diego. Then, Smart man. Oh yeah, yeah. Had to hold on to this. <laughs> awesome. Then, All right, <clears throat> let's keep moving. Um, let's see. Another thing from Os was uh, you also gave him a, a nice fresh haircut at camp and Hawaii. <laughs> so uh, jack of all trades, building decks, cutting hair. Yeah, man. I still cut. I still cut my own hair today. Like, nice. I, you use yeah. a mirror and one in the back and kind of fill yeah. it out. Is that yeah. how you do it? I have, I have a mirror in front of me. Then I use another one. You know, I kind of just go around. Nice. Yeah. I still rely on someone else to do that for me. So uh, <laughs> maybe one day I'll figure that out, but not today. Yeah. All right. So next memory, Sobe. Clint Sobe. Um, um, he thought of you as a steady Eddie. Uh, Keytrip was always steady. Rarely did he lose his cool, always lifting dudes up. Uh, also, um, ask about how you pulled your Achilles playing basketball. Another Meshach uh, memory was, um, as, or something he brought up was you were a sponsor brother of Blake's. Any good memories there? Blake. Blake. Blake, Blake Carter. Yeah, no, tons of tons of good memories of of Blake. Um, what I don't, I'm not sure, and he probably showed it a lot. But um, on the field, um, Blake was was pretty serious. He was about his business. But off the field, Blake was <laughs> Blake was a goofy dude, man. Like, I know. yeah, that dude. He was um, always joking, extremely silly. Um, but really cared about people. I'm not sure if, if anybody really remembers that about Blake. Um, but but he he really had a he had a big heart and he, he just really cared about um, people. He was concerned about what people thought about him, but he he never put himself ahead of, of others. You know, even I think there was even um, going into my senior year. I think it was going into my senior year. Uh, the first game we opened the season with, I think, um, Ball State. And um, yeah, Blake and, running back. Yeah, Blake and I were um, you know, we were competing for that starting corner job, um, and Buddy Green decided to start him that game. And you know, Blake as a sponsor brother, and really as, as a mentee of mine, because anything, any question that he had on the defense, he would come and ask me about it. Um, you know, he got the starting job, so he started that game. And you know, the first thing he did was. Uh, whenever he saw it on the depth chart, was come to me and talk to me about it, and he was sort it was slightly apologetic, and I was like, wait a minute, man, like that's that's not that's not how we're gonna go about this. Um, like yeah. I, you know, I appreciate you know you coming to me and talking to me. I was like, but you know, if he decided to start you, um, it's because you earned it. I was like, so go out there and 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 ball out. Um, yeah. And by by all accounts, that's that's what he did. Um, I was just lucky enough that Rashawn was having a rough game. <laughs> yeah so that's that's the uh the benefit of being flexible and and yeah. learning all the positions right oh yeah man for sure all right um good good uh memory there uh next one jay woo jesse awuji uh in uh one of our games in 2007 um you had a crazy concussion maybe and you couldn't remember a single thing about it uh, a week or two, you know, after that event, uh, you broke up with this girl. Um, 
and you couldn't remember anything about maybe a conversation you had there with that individual. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, he said, uh-huh. I told him um, what went down and, you know, he spent some reflection time on that at the sideline because he was so confused on why things had gotten to that point. And it's funny, like of all the things Jesse could <laughs> he doesn't give me very many memories he gave me one on you though that's the thing but it was but it was extremely bizarre man and 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 you asked if anything was off limits no absolutely nothing is off limits um yeah not many people not many people know about that uh but it's true it's very true man i remember um i remember i remember before i got i remember the moment before i got that concussion um it was during the spring game uh, my junior year, um, for whatever reason, Zingler was scrambling out and he decided to run and I caught a knee to the temple. And the next thing I remember, um, was talking to coach green on the sideline. And then after that, like everything was just all bad. Um, was it, was it documented concussion or undocumented? It was, so that's another thing. It was, <laughs> I'm not sure if you experienced this, but if you didn't get your I had one, yeah, if you didn't get your medical records from the academy um, within like five years, it it gets like purged. So I don't know where some of that, some of my concussions, I have no idea where that documentation. <laughs> None. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, there's probably a few out there that no one knows about on all these guests um, yeah. on but the not, football side. So, but. Yeah, Jesse's right. Like I was, I was so confused. Um, I was trying to have a conversation with, <laughs> with uh, my ex girlfriend at the time, and she was like, "Why are you talking to me?" And I was like, "What is going on?" It was, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was scary because um, I ended up calling my mom that night, um, and it it really scared her. She was really concerned, um, so she had a couple people watch me and just kind of, you know, observe me over the night, and then slowly, um, it took a while. Things started to come back, and then clear. I was like, "Okay, I, I remember now." Nice, yeah. Mom, moms are good, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, last thing from Jesse. It was a very interesting situation, but funny after the fact. Here we go. All right, <clears throat> two more, and my last one's going to be an audio insert because I figured out how to do that finally from Drex. Uh, but the next one is Jeremy Miles. He said, uh, I always looked up you know, to Keytrick as, you know, like the Navy version of the Honey Badger. Tough, scrappy, feisty, resilient, uh, and more heart than guys that are four times his size. So um, before I get into the Drex cut that I'm about to, about to play, before I even got his little, he's the first one that sent me a little voice clip on a memory, which is why I want to do the voice because it's better when it comes from the actual, you know, person. Um, but I wrote down, you know, key trick, um, not about your size. It's not the size of the, of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. So let's, uh, let's cut over and listen to what Mr. Drex had to say. And this may take a second. There it goes. So a memory value for Keytrick. Um, memories. I'm bad with memories, and I think that's part of my <laughs> I need to claim this in the VA. Um, Talk about it. I just remember uh I don't even remember what game it was. Uh Keytrick will remember this though if you bring it up. But I remember him like leaving a play. And then we had to send like maybe one of our I think we had to send Joey Taylor in. No offense to my man Joey. I was like, man, get your, you better get yourself back in here, man. Uh I think he got hurt or something. And then I think he was like, F it and just went back in. But that's the kind of guy Kitrick is though, man. Um very sacrificial. Uh, maybe even to a fault. Um, very uh, caring, but 
I mean, he probably he might be the smallest player to ever come through Navy football. I mean, how tall was he? How much did he weigh? Not much. Uh, one sixty, five, five feet tall, if that. Come on, man. Um, and uh, he played DB, man. He played safety. Of course, teams were gonna attack him, um, but you know he met the challenge and then some. Uh, he used to used to bring the wood uh, my man was fast and so uh i think he uh i don't think he would like seeing this but i think he has some of that kind of like uh uh small man complex or whatever it is because uh you know he he does so much with so little that he's not gonna let you uh skip out on practice or excuse something when you when when you have a lot and then you're kind of wasting uh your abilities you know he comes from uh small means kind of growing up rough childhood and so he has done a lot with what he's been given and uh you know i think sometimes that sometimes that can come off as a critical or harshness but it's actually love uh, because he wants what's best for you uh, over and against you know oftentimes what's best for himself and so I think you saw that at the academy I think you see that now extremely focused he's gonna get it done uh, no matter what you know um, and uh, I mean this is probably all cliche but it doesn't matter the size of the dog in the fight but the size of the fight in the dog and Kittrick ain't gonna he's not gonna like play show you his cards uh but when you when you line up against them <laughs> you gonna find out what kind of fight you in and it's probably gonna catch you off guard uh and if you don't bring it uh you will end up you know on the ground and he'll be he'll be by or whatever the case but so um uh Kendrick also i'll say this is a better friend than i am uh he's been a good friend he linked us up after all these years uh he just continues to kind of pursue and love on people and the only reason why we're still connected is because of him and he kind of does that with with everybody he doesn't he doesn't give up on too many people and uh you know but at the same time like uh if you're if you're not if you if you're just gonna continue down that other path, he'll let you go. But he's extremely loving and extremely caring. That's good stuff. Man. There you go. Gotta reach out to Drex, man. Give him give him some love, man. Drex, awesome. man, listening, man. I see you, man. I see. You. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, DBs have to be super resilient on a Navy defense. You know, like yeah. uh, on a run defense or a run offense, it's not that big a deal. But when the passes come out, the linebackers just can't cover those guys. <laughs> so uh, trust me, I've been there. And yeah. and that was my biggest weakness uh, as a linebacker was covering the pass. Uh, thankful for guys like you. Right. <laughs> so anyways, uh, no excuses. Here we go. Tell us the story. Uh, which which one? The the your the, your story, man. Start from the beginning. Oh, back man. to childhood. Like, where'd you come from? Who is Petrick? Oh. And then we'll so, just go from there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I I am often you know reluctant to to really to really share my story, and and honestly, um, there's very few people that really know um the things that I've been through in life uh, a lot of the struggles that I've endured um and then the blessings that I've encountered you know as a result of some of the struggles that that you know life kind of brought me through um, sure, wow. um but uh like I'm I'm excited you know to share it now um you know grew up uh I mean grew up pretty much really poor um and i was always in between having one parent two parent household um 
definitely a product of the welfare system. Um, grew up in community housing. Um, you know, whenever people talk about, they make the cliche statement of on the other side of the railroad tracks. Um, anybody that would listen to this and is familiar with um, Commerce Texas and Norris Community, um, they can they can attest to the reality of living downstream, um, you know, south of the um, south of the factories, um, literally on the other side of the railroad track. I mean, even even so much to where with where the water drained in the city, you know, all the contaminants in the water, you know, came down to that area. So, I remember my mom getting. Um, you know, um, a check from the government because it was found that there was arsenic in the water that we were drinking. Um, so yeah, you put know, that on your VA claim too. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so you Just know, kidding. all all those all those those things, and then you know, you you kind of fight your way through through life, and it's it's kind of interesting that you know the the timing of of this conversation because um, I'll probably bring it up later that you know. Drex is having, um, you know, it's kind of brought us into a conversation, um, you know, something that, that's tugging on his heart. And I'm able to speak from a lot of my experience of growing up, you know, to, you know, kind of just give my perspective on, on what he's, where he feels he's being led. Um, but, you awesome. know, that small town and, and commerce, um, you know, really, really took me through. But um, at the same time, man, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything um, because you you learn a lot you get to see a different you get to see life from a different perspective um, but also there were there were men um, from the the college that so commerce is a small college town back when I was young it was called East Texas State University um, now it's Texas A&M at commerce um, but what they did was they got a lot of the um, men from the fraternities and they would come down or they would pick us up after school and then they would take us to like a um a conference room on the college campus and you know they would mentor us help us with our homework um you know it was through them that i went to my first hockey my first professional hockey game um i went to a texas rangers baseball game because of them um so it really kind of gave me a vision like i i knew that there was something greater in life there were there were other opportunities in life that you know, were available to me if only I could get out of, you know, that environment. Um, so, you know, lo and behold, you know, after the whole arsenic water thing, they, they moved the community housing to the other side of the railroad tracks um, in a newer development. Um, then, you know, things, things happen in life. Uh, I think we ended up moving to Dallas. Then I got to be closer with my, my dad. Um, so that whole time in commerce, I was living with my mom. Then my mom and dad decide to get together, get back together. I think at this point I'm in like the fifth grade, maybe. So now I'm in Dallas with um, with my dad and mom. And that lasted about a month. And then I just stayed in Dallas with my dad. And that was, you know, for like three years to the eighth grade. Um, and then um, the eighth grade, I ended up moving in. After eighth grade, I, moved, I ended up moving in with an, an aunt and uncle um, in Rowlett. And so I finished um, school in Rowlett. Um, and so all that transition, all the struggle is obviously integral in pretty much building, um, who I've become as a man, you know, all those struggles, um, really relying heavily on, you know, my extended family, um, and really, really starting to understand, you know, the, the tribal method and what it really takes to, to raise a man or raise a kid, period. Um, a lot of who I am and the way I see uh, life now um, is because of the things that I ended up having to go through uh, whenever I was coming up. Gotcha. Uh, getting from commerce to Rowlett, like how'd that come about? You know, you grew up in commerce. Yeah. Uh, going to high school in Rowlett, like how'd that move? Happen? Yeah. So, man, I remember being a, being a kid. Um, I'm not sure why I was this way. Um, I, I assume that most most young men, are, um, but my dad was like Superman to me. Um, and I know I cried myself to sleep many nights. Uh, 
you know, longing for, for my dad to spend time with my dad for like years. Like I can remember just wanting to be with my dad, not understanding why, um, you know, other kids had their dads, but my dad wasn't around. Um, so finally my mom was like, okay, fine. Well, we can move in with your dad. So she decides that, Hey, we're, we moved with my dad. Well, like I said, it didn't last long, but when I moved in with my dad, um, things were rough. Um, so I moved to Oak Cliff, Texas at that point. Um, things were rough. Oak Cliff. Oak Cliff. Nice. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she leaves, and then I'm there with my um, dad in Oak Cliff, um, which, you know, it was it was rough, but it was different. It, the struggle was different. Um, sorry, the struggle was different. Like being there with my dad, um, it, it was a struggle, but I felt more confident in the struggle like like i yeah. knew i had superman next makes to me. a makes a big so, difference yeah right? so so we're, we're gonna make it through this struggle um but you know one thing led to another and um the way that it actually ended up panning out was um i ended up going to this um dallas environmental science academy um and it was it was pretty much an, an academy for the gifted and talented students of the area um, awesome. so I get, I get there and I'm in the seventh grade, seventh grade, seventh, yep, seventh grade. And I'm doing like ninth, 10th grade classes. And I didn't know it to me. I was just doing normal classes. Um, I found out that I was doing advanced classes whenever the principal approached me and he said, Hey, um, someone is reaching out to us, um, to get your transcript, your transcript, um, because they're trying to transfer your school. And I was like, what is happening? It was my aunt and uncle. Um, they pretty yeah. much wanted a better opportunity for me. And essentially the idea was if you go to a school in the suburbs, um, a bigger school, uh, you would have a better opportunity of going to a good college. And, you know, hey, yeah. sold. Uh, so when I transfer uh, schools, um, I have a cousin. We're, we're the same age. We're like brothers. Um, it was his, it's his parents, his mom and us uh, and stepdad. I uh, move in with them and they go to enroll me in school and they're looking at me. I'm trying to go to the eighth grade. They're looking at my transcript and they're like, we don't offer these classes. Here. And I'm thinking, I was like, why don't they offer these classes? I was like, what, what's going on? Like, he has to go to the high school uh, to take these classes. And what would any eighth grade, like teenage kid do? I would say, no, you know, I'll just take the classes in my grade and I'll just stay with my classmates, my age group. Um, and I'll just progress that way. But man, I ended up taking like I studied Romeo and Juliet uh, two years in a row. Blew the teachers away because they they thought I was the smartest thing, and I was like, "No, nah, I've just I've studied this like a couple times." Um, algebra one, I think it was. Um, I was teaching the teacher how to do it because she was new to the school. Um, and then science, all those things just came easy. Um, and that's actually <laughs> that same year is the first year I ever played football too. The eighth grade. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So um, you do the high school thing. And uh, real quick, <clears throat> coming out of high school, who was your recruiter at the time? Got to ask. It's always <laughs> a fun question. Coach Spence, man. Coach Spence. Spence. Yeah. Oh, How yeah. <laughs> he was a good recruiter. That's for sure. He was, man. He was. Good guy. <laughs> Nice. So from there, <clears throat> did you go direct straight into the academy? I did not. Did you go to prep school? All right. I, so you did the prep school thing. How was that for you? Oh, man. The prep school is um, a, a transitional period of my life. Probably um, one of the most uh, abrupt transitions that I've had in my life. Um, probably one of the the greatest experiences I had in my life, too. Um just because of that, the diversity of the place, them kind of thrusting you into being a young adult, taking care of yourself. Um, and then, you know, going through the whole um, storming, forming, norming phase with like new people from different places. Yeah, to, so and, yeah and learn different cultures. I oh, mean, it was great. Like Naps was absolutely great. Awesome. And then from there to the Academy. Uh, <laughs> the academy was different. Um, I got really, oh, I got comfortable with naps. I got comfortable with naps. I got comfortable with the three hundred of us. Um, you know the the 
the peer leadership uh, at NAPS was different than the the structure of the academy. And so that took a little time um, getting used to, you know, having guys that were my age or like a year or two older, you know, feeling, well, I wouldn't say feeling empowered, being empowered um, with the responsibility of, you know, trying to learn how to lead while leading me. And yeah. it, it was hard for me to respect them. It was hard for me to respect that, respect them in the hall. It's a great learning tool though, right? It is. It absolutely. Hey, I, I want to be like this. I don't want to be like this. Right. Still happens today. <laughs> Still happens today. Sure. Um, yeah. But the the football transition was was a a leap. Um, when I went to Naps, I felt like the um, the level of football um, took a step down from what I was used to in high school. So when I went to the to the academy and got to practice, I felt like okay, like that's what I expected you know, that first step of college football to be like, um, yeah, dude, inner city Dallas high school football is, yeah, that's where you get your chance to find the next level. Right. And then you go to naps and like, uh, yeah, naps, naps was, but then, yeah, go yeah. ahead. No, I'm just saying naps, naps, just the, the competition, not the, not the guys that we were there with. Like you can see the talent in the guys that were recruited with you, but the teams we would play against, it was like, yeah, like who are these guys? Like, yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll take these lessons and keep moving. Right. Yeah. So, cool. Anything else from the academy before we jump into your career? Um, no. You just you 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 meet a lot of people. Um, you <laughs> you really the academy. People ask me all the time if I could go back, would I would I do it all over again? And I would. Because you, you learn so much about yourself, um, the responsibility that they give to such a young person, um, the workload that they put on you, in addition to the, the amount of hours that we put into football. I mean, I think it prepares you for so much later in life that I can't think of many other things that would have prepared me um, for being a father, waking up with my wife at every feeding just to be there for moral support and then getting up a little bit later to go to work and having to keep my head on straight and be able to function, you know, as an officer in the Marine Corps and get it right there and then come home and do it all over again. I'm not sure that there's any other scenario that would have prepared me for something like that other than, you know, the academy and all the hours that you have to put into academics as well as the time and effort that you put in on the field. Yeah. No doubt. Um, before we move on, I got to ask, do you have a good coach story? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, do you have a good buddy green story? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> what is that story? Oh man. So it, it kind of goes with, with the, uh, kind of welcome to division one football. Um, Boom. he was all dude. He was one of the most fired up dudes every single day and if you weren't doing the right thing he would let you yeah. know oh, yeah. so tell your story i, I thought the guy <laughs> hit me. like i knew for sure that that guy hit me i was like i'm never gonna play here like i i just gotta figure it out but my buddy green story um he's dip which mo a lot of coaches did but he, i remember he's dip um and they spit it, it all over you one day man it was during <laughs> it was it was during we were still in plebe summer um or maybe plebe, yeah. I got out of plebe, got out of plebe, plebe summer early to start camp. And I remember the first, it was the very first practice, and we were doing conditioning. And that very first conditioning period, it was like, it was like three whistles. Like you, it was, um, I think we did the, what was it, like 30, 25, 20, like the, the ladder or whatever. Yeah. Um, and coach was blowing the whistle so fast, and I couldn't recover. And by the end of it, I was running with alignment. <laughs> Cause I had no legs. Like I, I was, I was beat. Like I, I was giving my everything. Cause I was like, I'm making varsity. So by the end of practice, I'm like, I'm, I had nothing. So he runs up to me, and he like grabs my face mask, and he's yelling. I'm in the fog of war. I can't hear anything he's saying. I'm breathing loud. I just remember dip spit, just <laughs> going to my face. I was like, smells like wintergreen. I was like, is he spit on me? I was like, this is gross. Then I was like, man, I can recover. Like. My mom was going yeah. to something, but I was like, this guy is serious. Like, he's, like, holding me by my face mask, yelling. Meanwhile, I'm missing the reps, which I was cool with. 
I couldn't remember. Like I was like, this guy is really spitting in my face right now. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would. Never, I, uh, I, you were. Never get it. You were in the just one mile phase. So I just watched a uh, documentary. It's called Just One Mile, uh, and it highlights a, a Navy SEAL. It's a mile loop. There's, it's a race. A mile loop as long as you can go. There's only one winner. Uh, you know, like a hundred people go to it. Um, you know, the <clears throat> I'm an uncommon man with an uncommon desire to succeed. And a quote from the guy that does that. And uh, when you were running those those things, you were running that mile. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. So mm. I got to do some tie-ins every now and then. So. That's all good, man. I, I like that one. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I like. It. Awesome. So you transitioned, graduate, go into the Marine Corps. Why'd you go to the Marine Corps? <laughs> you want to know the honest reason? Um, yeah. I like I like the uniforms. <clears throat> um, Two man, I get seasickness like really bad, like really bad. I went. Um, okay. On the USS Comstock, I think it was like LSD 45, my freshman year. We were out, we got underway for a week. And for that week, I think I was in the rack for maybe four or five days. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to be on a ship. Like, I'm not going to the Navy because I'm not going to be on the ship. Little did I know, uh, there's a such thing as a Marine Expeditionary Unit. They <laughs> they, they deploy on ships. Um, also, there's a carrier air group. Um, that Marines go on when you're part of the wing, um, they deploy on ships. So in my um, immature or ignorant mind, I just figured the Marine Corps would get me as far away from ships as possible. So I was, I'm, I'm going Marine Corps. I can't, I can't do the Navy. Gotcha. Yep. That was it. And then you get into the Marine Corps. How was your uh, TBS, the basic school experience? Oh, <sighs> I was not a fan of anybody at TBS except for uh, Joe Taylor, who was in my company. And um, man, there was another academy guy, and I know him, and I can't, I cannot think of his name right now. Oh uh, man, he would choke me if if he if he sees this, he's going to choke me. Oh uh, man, it's, it'll come to me. But yeah. other than those two guys, like I didn't like anybody. Um, Too many concussions. <laughs> those yeah i know right seriously um but oh man what's that guy's name man he went to the academy his wife went to the academy and i cannot think of his name right now which is not uncommon for me like i'm terrible with names man terrible um, but i remember people um just not their names but he in <laughs> and he um he'll tell you like he remember he remembers this day it was like day two um we get to TBS and we get our rifles and our SPC had us do inspection arms. Never did inspection arms a day in my life. Like I never, <laughs> I never even held a rifle like that. So I'm standing at attention, but I'm trying to watch everybody as they do inspection arms, like one at a time. And my SPC had me do it like 10 times in a row. And he saw that like I was doing what I, I felt like I was doing what everybody else was doing, but clearly I was not, there was something I was missing. And he just had me do it over and over. And I was like, you know what is he trying to prove here? I was like, if I'm messing it up, he's just going to continue to have me embarrass myself in front of my peers when he could just stop, acknowledge that he clearly doesn't know what he's doing. Um, so I'm not going to. doesn't sound like he talked to you very much. No, he, that guy sucked, man. He was, he was just a poor leader, um, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I remember his name. <laughs> I remember his name. I know you do. Yeah. Jeff Jeff Shuley is the other Academy grad that, that I was talking about. That was nice. Yep. Yep. Um great dude. But yeah, no, so TBS, I hated it. Um I felt like it was just a means to an end. I just wanted to get done with it. Um it, it wasn't it wasn't hard. Um I just I just didn't enjoy it. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Well cool. Um, so after that you transitioned and you went yeah, to TBS so, and you got to the fleet and had your first job. Where mm -hmm. did you go from there? Um, so, uh, 
graduate TBS, I get my MOS of 6002 Aircraft Maintenance Officer, and they send me to Beaufort, South Carolina, to Marine Corps Air Station Beaufort, um, to Marine Aviation Logistics Squadron 31. Um, and that is where my Marine Corps career started. Um, when I started off as a division officer, they gave me a division with about 120 Marines, and I didn't know anything about aircraft maintenance. Um, so what do what do I do? I just integrate with the Marines. You know, anytime they're working, I'm beside them, working with them, trying to figure out what it is they do. So they they <laughs> they taught me a lot. Um, obviously, when you have a young naive lieutenant, you know they take advantage whenever they get the opportunity, but I was okay with it. Um, and, and because I was okay with that and they understood that they weren't going to be able to, to get under my skin, it's almost like they just took me in and they started to treat me, um, kind of like one of, one of their own. Sure. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was, it was great, man. And then the, um, the staff NCOs, they kind of saw it. So they, they found out I was <laughs> an academy grad. And it made them it made them kind of standoffish. Like they didn't really know like how to treat me or how how to take. Yeah, there's a there's a stigma there with there, academy yeah. grads, right? The stigma. There's a stigma. So then when they found out, they're like, "Where's your ring? Like, why don't you wear your ring? Like, are you trying to hide from us?" <laughs> I was like, "I have no. <laughs> I don't idea. have to wear a ring. That's not oh, what I'm about." Yeah, I was like, "I don't know what you guys are talking about." I was like, "I don't know what y'all have encountered in the past." I said, "But I think you will find that um, whatever it is that y'all have experienced, I'm probably not not going to be like that." Um, and it, that's kind of how my career has played out. Um, I'm a people person, you know, I try to look across the table at everybody. Um, I'm never better than anybody. I never think to be better than anybody. Um, and I think that has really, um, voted well for me and my career. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, anything else in your story, um, in the uh, Marine Corps that was, yeah, keep going. I mean, there's a there's a lot, man. I mean, the Marine. <laughs> Unpack it. Let's go. Yeah, I oh, mean, okay. So the Marine Corps has been. I've only I've only deployed once, um, and my deployment is not like some of the stories you're hear. Like when I talk to Drex and Joe, <laughs> and I tell them my deployment story, <laughs> it does not compare uh, to what they experienced. So my first deployment, my only deployment, I went from Beaufort, South Carolina to um, San Diego to uh, Marine Corps Air Station Miramar. I was there for three days. Um, and then from there, I flew to Hawaii and I stayed at the Hilton Hawaiian Village. We were there for like five days. Then from Hawaii, I went to Wake Island, which is a beautiful island in the middle of the Pacific, man. It's in like, has a lagoon in the middle. Um, beautiful absolutely beautiful and secluded place um tons of history there um but went to wake island i was in wake island for five days which is probably about three days too long i, I, I want to ask more about the history there is there something that stands out to you in that history that uh, oh yeah man there's 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 a lot you um so let me see i think it's world war Two. Um, we are defending the, the U.S. is defending the island against uh, Japan, and I think that it was one of the uh -oh. good one of the, if not the only um, time that a Marine command surrendered, um, and I think that may be the genesis of why that flag was never allowed to come back to U.S. soil, so that. The command still exists, I believe, but never again will that flag fly on American soil. Um, but my history is a little dusty right now, so I'd have to go back and look at the specifics of it. But gotcha. you'll see like yeah. more from, you know, whenever the ships were like firing on Wake Island, like it's all still there. Like the bunkers are there. The shelling is there. Like it's, it's surreal. And you're sitting there looking like, I don't, I don't know. If I, well, I know I would do it if I had to, but the intestinal fortitude that those men those men must have had to, you know, sit in there and and fight against something like that is, yeah. yeah. But be there and to and to see it um, in person and to kind of read the placards 
because there's plaques everywhere on a lot of the bunkers um, and kind of see the history. And then as you continue to mature your uh, military career and you understand the histories of the history of different units and then, you know, the significance of certain battles, uh, you kind of reflect on, man, I've been there. Like I stood there. So that's pretty but anyway, so from Wake Island, I went on to uh, Iwakuni, Japan. From Iwakuni, I got to go to Guam and also the Philippines. Then once I finished that up, flew back through Hawaii and back to the States. And that was my deployment. So it was, it was it was nice. It was really nice. Cool. Yeah, man. All right. Uh, anything else in your career before I move on? Uh. Not, I can not, see your wheels are turning, but oh yeah, man. Because I gotta there, ask. I mean, because there's so many, there's so many things that I could that I could draw out. Um, so many lessons, so many tools that I've put in my tool belt from different experiences, both good and bad, um, that has constantly contributed contributed to you know the the man, the leader, the father, the husband that I am today. Um, and unfortunately, the things that always stand out the most and that you you learn the most from is from the worst leaders that you serve under. Um, and I can just remember, man, I, I had this one colonel. This guy was, he was, he just did not get it, man. He lived on another planet. Um, and I did my best to, you know, do what he asked of me. But at the end of the day, I just, I had a really hard time with this guy. And um, from, from <laughs> it was, I was a captain then. Um, and what I learned from him was, um, so I worked for this guy and his, his boss ended up pulling me out from being under his command. Um, but in doing so, his boss pulled me into his office. And he had a, we had a 10 minute conversation and it went a little bit like, like this. He, he asked me, um, what, what do I think the, um, the root of my success was as a, as an athlete, as a football player. And I kind of just looked at him. I was like, it was hard work. He was like, yeah. He's like, so you worked hard. He said, well, he said, tell me this. He said, um, Whenever you went to, to different teams throughout your life, you know, was every coach the same? I was like, no. He said, did you ever find yourself on the bench throughout your career ever? I was like, no. He said, yeah, because you probably figured out how to get on the field, regardless of how good or bad that coach was. You figured out how to get on the field. Yeah. And, you, and, and in doing so, like you got on the field and you were able to help your team. He said, if you, he said you're going to reflect back on this. He said, you're going to realize you didn't do what it took to get on the field. And he said, and as a result, your team was not able to benefit from you being on the field because you weren't able to get on the field. He said, so now you have Marines that are under his command, under his charge, that you were no longer there to provide a buffer for. He's like, so next time you experience this in your career, say you need to figure out a way to be a leader, not just for your boss, but more importantly, a leader for those Marines who now have to deal with the guy that you just let get away with whatever it is that he was doing and I, that was that was eye-opening like it, i mean it's, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it because it's so true um that guy was terrible and i because of because of who i was the marines didn't know what was going on but when i left they yeah. all you can always you know complain up and out never below yep never down even to your peers yeah what uh so why what, what keeps you in the marine corps today like you you're, Marines. You're still a, okay. Marines. Um, the men and women that you get to work with every day. Um, the men and women that invest in you and the men and women that you get to invest in. Um, that, I mean, that, that really is it. Um, there's, there's, there's no other reason other than that because, I mean, shoot. I could, I could get out, get a job, and have more time to spend with my kids. Um but the reality is, I, I think I know for sure that I would miss the the camaraderie, um, a lot of the fellowship and and the mentorship that that takes place in the Marine Corps. Nice. Uh, mentor question comes up in a lot of episodes. Got to ask: Do you have a certain mentor that 
stands out to you? A mentor that stands out. Yeah, I do. Um, Patrick Haynes, I think class of 02 or 03, one of those two classes, um, Pat Haynes. Um, he also, aircraft maintenance officer, he played football at the academy. He went to Naps. He's a Cali boy. Um, he stands out. He's 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 always been at a a location or a, yeah, he's always been in a position to positively influence my career all the way up to the point to where I picked up major. He was always somewhere where I needed him to be. At least I felt like I needed him to be. But I think the reality is he was just a good person that was always willing to help and look out for me. Um awesome. Yeah. So definitely Pat, um, the most humble person I know, um, the most caring person uh, that, that I've encountered, like this guy, he was a monitor and he would lose sleep over having to send people to certain locations because he knew how it would impact them, impact them and, and their families. And I was like, dude, that's your job. Like you have a job to do at the end of the day, but it, it kept him up at night. Gotcha. Yep. Uh You've already brought this up. I wrote this down, um, you know, a week ago was investing in one another, building community. What does building community mean to you? So building, (laughs) so did Drex, (laughs) did Drex tell you that, um, he asked me to sing at his wedding. He did not. Oh man, this guy. We didn't get there. Oh man, because I love him. I, I say yes. So he asked. He asked me to sing at his wedding. Um, and the song he asked me to sing is "Lean on Me." Lean on me, lean, lean on, on my soul. Yep, yep. When nice. you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. Um, if there's a load that you need to bear that you can't carry, lean on me and I'll bear that load. Awesome. And me, I feel like that's what community means. It means to be so in tune with one another to where I don't have to tell you my needs because you already know. Um, so, so in tune. Yep. I like that. So there's no, there's no burden that you have to bear alone because I already have a good understanding of what it is you're going through and I know how to be there for you and I'm willing to be there for you. Um, that, that is what I feel community is and not, not just between me and one other person, but me, the, my immediate like next door neighbor, the guy across the way, um, all the houses on the street. Um, I, I want to be so connected that, you know, whenever something's going on, when when you need help, like I already know how to help. Awesome, good stuff. Um, all right, uh, only a couple more. What's the biggest obstacle you're working through today? Biggest opportunity, struggle? Man, the biggest obstacle that that I face today is um, time management, and time time management on so many levels. So time management when it comes to a daily routine of, you know, making things work with, uh, with Whitney, my wife and our kids and all the things that they do. Um, planning for the next week, um, how we're going to, you know, execute to attend different like soccer tournaments. And it's usually her kind of telling me like, Hey, you, you do remember. And I'm like, I don't remember. Yeah. I get that a lot too. Yeah, but also um, time management with regards to our next move. Um, you know, I'm coming up on 15 years. I'm due to rotate. Uh, awesome. next. Whitney is going to Command and Staff College, and she's already been selected for Command um, Ashore. Um, no, at sea. So we're trying to thread the needle on this last move um, so that we can stay together as a family unit. And that is been that is my big struggle right now trying to figure out how to best maneuver um this next couple years so that it keeps my family together um co-located 
and it also creates a easy transition into high school for my kids because at the 20 year mark, KJ, my son, will be in the 10th grade, just finishing up the ninth grade, and my daughter will be will be her freshman year in high school. Goodness. Yep. Freshman in high school. I am not looking forward to that. So hats off to you, sir. Uh, <laughs> not looking forward to it. Daughters are different, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I'm Daughters are ter- different. I'm terrified. Yeah. Uh, cool. Um, so for you, where do you see Keytrick Buffett in, you know, five to ten years? What's your vision? I mean, five years. Um, hopefully I'm at some beautiful, you know, sunset ceremony. Um where I'm retiring from the Marine Corps and I'm getting to focus all my time and attention on my family, my wife and kids. 10 years, um, man, 10 years, I I plan to be somewhere in Texas on 20 acres, um, not being able to see anybody and making my kids call me before they come visit dad. (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) But the 20 acres, that's a real thing. Yeah. I plan on being um, disconnected. Is it you there? No, I was saying just you were excited to be disconnected on oh, 20 yeah. acres. Completely yeah. disconnected. Um, you know, working, doing, doing mentorship, not necessarily um, having to work, but volunteering um, for work. And um, just really enjoying, you know, the fruits of the labor that me and Whitney put in over all these years and really getting to enjoy, you know, following our kids around, whatever they're doing. If they're dance, uh, gymnastics, sports, whatever they're doing, just being there to support them. Awesome. All right. Last question. What's your price of admission? Yeah, I want to make I'm gonna go plug my phone in. I want to make sure I don't lose you on this one uh, all right price of admission um so uh, we've 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 really flirted with it uh throughout this entire podcast and you know hopefully you know i can clearly articulate you know what what i feel um my price of admission is um and and ultimately i think i think the price of admission is um, the struggles that you encounter in different seasons of your life, um, but not not just the scene, not just the struggles alone, but you know how you overcome those struggles and the lessons that you learn and kind of the callus that you build um, while working your way through um, those challenges. Um, so I would say that the 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 callus, um, you know, is is really the price because. The callus is the thing that enables you to continue to press on through whatever struggle life throws at you. Like you have that muscle memory, like that that can do attitude that no matter what happens, um, you are going to figure it out. And when you do figure it out, um, you have paid the price um, because you put in the work to get to the other side of whatever struggle in life you're facing in whatever season you're in. Yeah, and and I can I can apply that. Or I can show how that's been applied through many, many situations in my life. Um, sports is obviously the easy one. Um, kind of like to Drex's point, you know, he he, he, he said I was five foot, man. I'm five seven, man. Like, <laughs> hey, I set that clear up front yeah. at the very beginning. I think I, think I did it right. But one sixty, like so. So no kidding, I, I I was the smallest starting ta- the starting safety in the smallest starting <clears throat> in Division One football at 155 pounds. 55. Yeah, and and because I was I was so light, you know, I was always afraid of being run over. So I knew, um, I understood physics, <laughs> and I was like, I have to bring everything I have as fast as I can in order to ensure that whoever I hit, one, they feel me, and two, they fall down. Um, so there was no gathering. Like, I was coming with everything I had, and if I missed, like, I was going to fly five yards past you. And 
That's just the way I played. And that's the way I've applied things in life. Like, I'm going to give it everything I have. Um, yeah. No matter how hard the challenge is, no matter what we're going through, um, the challenge is irrelevant. The work required to get through the challenge, that's the price. Yeah, for sure. One of the smallest guys, uh, you know, people felt the, the impact. Um, a few injuries throughout the process. A lot of injuries. <laughs> Concussion, <laughs> broken bone. But, um, definitely an awesome story. So appreciate you sharing that today. Um, you must tell Whitney thank you tonight for allowing you this time. And how many kids you have? Two. Two. What are their names? Yep. Kyla and KJ. Keetrick Jr. Nice. Dude, awesome combo. Appreciate the time. Um, I always pick up a lot of things when I talk to you guys and, and kind of like soak up your story. And I think I've learned a few things tonight. So that was a success. And uh, yeah, man. Keep on keeping on. Good talk. Oh, yes. Man, thanks. I appreciate the invite. Awesome. All right, man. Have a good one.